0: you're listening to another episode of world of noise i'm your host bob ham each week i put the spotlight on the people making music here in the portland metro area as well as bringing in the voices of people who usually stay behind the scenes the producers and bookers and folks behind record labels that are the unseen backbone of a thriving music industry On this week's edition, we are slipping into the world of psychedelic music, but coming at it from some unusual angles. Later on in the show, you'll hear from Steve Rossborough, a recent transplant to Portland who has brought along his tape label, Moon Glyph Records, with him, which has released a wealth of material from psych and experimental artists from around the world. But first... My first guest, Trinetti, didn't set out to become a musician. As a young person, her life was consumed with dance and movement, but as you'll hear in a moment, singing and playing the bass and the healing properties of music have become her entire world. And since moving here to Portland in the last few years, performing and writing music and helping people find their own voices through sound healing workshops have become passionate exercises for this young artist. Trinetti is now manifesting her work in physical form with the release of Psalms of Saturn, an album and book that features an array of beautiful expressions that speak to the passage of days and the growth that arrives in our spirits as we move through this world. Trinetti will be celebrating the release of Psalms of Saturn with a ceremonial concert happening on Saturday, January 17th at the Old Church, where she will be joined by dolphin midwives and what she is calling sacred aligned guardian entities and her words will be anchoring presence and love into the venue. Trinetti, thank you so much for being on World of Noise today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you grew up uh, in Chicago. Yes. If I have that right. Uh, yes. So uh, what was that like, the experience of growing up in Chicago versus being here in Portland?
1: Very, very different. I imagine there are some people here in Portland who were having a similar experience to the one that I had in Chicago, but um, probably not at the same magnitude. I grew up on um, just like the south side of Chicago, where it's like very much intense environment, a lot of poverty, a lot of violence. Mm -hmm. And um, just yeah, a lot of like weird things happening with like the cops and gangs and there was that kind of intensity in my childhood with that and then I moved um to the far north side Rogers Park which is a was at that time I can't really speak to what it's like now but at that time it was also very intense like with a lot of gang influence and just like a lot of a lot of things that would create ptsd and a lot of people who i went to elementary school with are dead now or still stuck in the neighborhood that they were in then never have left wow. and so it's kind of like um i like to call it like um it feels like being like a concrete lotus because you know how the lotus flower grows from like the mud mm-hmm. and it like um finds the nutrients in it and it's like a tough condition for it to grow in but it becomes this like really beautiful delicate flower from those conditions and has these really strong roots and that's what I feel like having grown up in such an intense environment and still been able to make my way out and like find that like inner alchemy to become like the fullness of myself without having a lot of attachment to the stories of what I came from.
0: Wow at what point in there? Did you start dancing? Because I know that was really your sort of first yeah. creative expression was dance yeah. and movement.
1: Yeah, I started dancing super, super young. Like I started just expressing myself in that way at like five. And then um, me and my cousins, we would throw like little talent shows for my grandma. <laughs> and we would just like all stand up and like we'd make up these dances all day. And then we like bring her in the kitchen and be like, okay. We put on this whole performance, and then by the time I was 11 years old, I was dancing and choreographing professionally because um, it just happened that way. Like I was just like very creative and very eager, and always looking for positive things to do in my time, so mm-hmm. that I wouldn't be like in all of the other things that were going on in my neighborhood. And dance was always a really powerful outlet for me to like move through things that I couldn't like verbally express at that time. Art is just something that you can control when nothing else in your life is controllable Mm -hmm. or constant. Like, if you have a creative outlet, that's, like, a very, very clear reflection of, like, the true you. And it's, like, something that you can, like, always use to express yourself and to have something that to hold on to, even when, like, every other circumstance is really challenging. And I guess, like, somewhere inside, I always knew that. And when I was little, like, it was just, like, a natural survival mechanism to put myself in environments where I could like dance, but dance with accountability of like, Oh, we have to choreograph this piece for this show. And, you know, I was even like getting paid for performances, dancing at that age. Wow. Yeah. It was just a really like, it just happened that way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you sort of connect with the, what I think of as the, the spiritual aspects of, uh, dance music and art, at that age too were you feeling that connection
1: um no at that point it was just pure like it was a pure passion it was just like mm-hmm. This makes me feel good. And when I don't do this, I don't feel good. Therefore, I do this. <laughs> so it was very much just like cut and dry that there wasn't really a lot of like um, deeper, more like esoteric understanding. I didn't even understand why it made me feel good at that point. It wasn't until I was studying dance at Columbia College and then like simultaneously starting to go through my spiritual re- reawakening mm-hmm. that I realized that my entire life I had been healing myself through movement and that like there was even more that I could grow into learning and understanding and um, having the ability to harness through that with the new awareness that I gained during that time period in my life around like energy and chi and um, just intention and flow of how we move energy through our body as we're dancing and then that kind of led me to listening to music differently and understanding a bit more deeply how what we listen to affects our subconscious state Mm -hmm. and it affects the way our body feels and so if we listen to music that's like it's got a, a catchy beat but it's got demeaning lyrics then we're still like ingesting that we're still consuming that and so those like um, negative thought forms are still becoming a part of us, no matter how much people say, like, oh, like, I just like the beat. Like, you're still hearing it, and it's, like, a mantra. So right. it's, like, I started to understand, like, whoa, like, words are very powerful, so I want to, like, change what I'm listening to and, like, start listening to either just, like, instrumental things or listen to things that have positive lyrics, so that, like, that's what I'm eating, essentially.
0: Wow. Now, when did you wind up here in Portland?
1: Very recently, I came here like a year and a half ago okay yeah
0: so if i have your timeline correct then so it was even before that that you kind of had this awakening to want to make music oh yeah so that was even before you got here to portland
1: yes yes so um a debriefing on my timeline would be i lived just like as my home base being in chicago from zero to 24 but i was like really ready to just like go off on my hero's journey so at 24 i left chicago i went and stayed in a yoga retreat center in northern michigan for like a month and meditated like six hours a day wow and like really dropped in. <laughs> and then um then i started traveling through my art and i like did a mandala part Project, performance art mandala project in New Orleans to raise awareness about the wetlands land loss. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Guatemala and produced that festival and loved it so much I stayed there (laughs) for like three more months and then I went to Costa Rica then I came back to Chicago for a little while and then I moved from Chicago to the west coast for a little while and I kind of stayed in the Los Angeles California area um, performing at festivals and events Mm -hmm. up and down the coast then I went back to Guatemala and stayed there for about six months after that came back toured all the way from Baltimore all the way across the country to uh the west coast and then ended up living on the west coast for a while after that and so this was all like from 2014 to about 2017 and then around about 2017 i found myself like not enjoying showing up in the form that I was showing up in in the festival spaces like I was Mm -hmm. no longer feeling like fully satisfied by doing just dance transmission work to accompanying other people's music I was feeling voiceless like I just didn't have it wasn't the same as making choreography and having like this full artistic statement around what you're making. And it just wasn't the same. You're definitely like at the will of whatever the artist plays mm-hmm. musically. And... um Meanwhile, like underneath the back burner, I had been like writing songs like since about 2014, like okay. but no one knew, no <laughs> one knew, like it was like my secret. <laughs> and um, at t- 2017, I got an opportunity to go on tour with an artist that I had been on tour with before, and it just didn't feel right. Hmm. And I told them I was like, I'm not gonna go. I'm gonna actually not go to any festivals this year, and I'm gonna like go in the woods and learn how to play my bass and i'm going to write songs and (laughs) they were like but you're such a good dancer why would you do that and i was just like well i feel like i have to and so that was like the real like shift from Mm -hmm. me identifying myself as like a dancer choreographer to um stepping onto the path of like okay like I'm going to share these messages that have been coming through me musically now.
0: Wow. So if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Trinetti, a fantastic bassist, vocalist, performer, songwriter, healer here in Portland. She is performing a ceremonial concert for her first album, Psalms of Saturn, at the Old Church on, remind me of the date? January 17th. January 17th, a performance Also featuring Dolphin Midwives. Uh, You're going to be performing at the live band. Do I have that right? Yes, As well as some uh, dance artists. There'll be a ceremonial cacao bar. Uh, Very full night of entertainment. yeah. Why the bass guitar? I think that's my big question about...
1: Oh, yes. This story... This is one of my favorite stories.
2: Um,
1: (laughs) So, when I was in college for dance, I had no plan idea attachment or even conception that i would ever make music it was not in my spectrum at all however i did know that like i loved the bass line i was just like something about the bass line that's that's it like that's like that was like my home Mm -hmm. and like i would just like jump on and off of that to the other instruments and so one day like i just got the idea to draw up this tattoo of a bass clef with like psychedelic swirls and fairy wings and I went to the local tattoo shop and I was like I need this on my arm in pink purple and blue and green (laughs) and he was like okay and then I got it and I had it for years and it was just a symbol of my like love for the bass Mm -hmm. as an instrument and as a sound and as a cradle for all the rest of the components of music. And then it wasn't until I was living in L.A. and I, um, I met another bassist there. We were throwing these events called Cosmic Soup. And it was just like we would um, brew up a bunch of kava kava, the Fijian root herb that like makes everyone feel very relaxed and in their body. Mm-hmm. And we would invite a bunch of dancers and musicians just to come into the studio space at the home that I lived at and just see what happened. Just like... Let's play Like let's just see what happens And um Julian was there that day And he had his bass And I still didn't know what instrument I wanted to drop into yet I was like singing But mostly just with medicine drum And didn't have like an instrument yet And then he saw like the tattoo on my arm And he was just like Oh cool you play bass and I was like I don't know what instrument I play. Like he was like, "No, you play bass. Like it's on your arm. You're coming to my house tomorrow and you're going to play my bass." And I was like, "Okay." Like and like on a side note for weeks prior to that, I had been hearing this like chord progression in my head, and, or like progression of notes in my head. And it was like, dum, 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 dum. but I didn't know what that was. I don't, I've never studied music theory. I don't know anything about music theory mm-hmm. or anything. But I, I was hearing this over and I was like, what makes that sound? And then um, <laughs> I get to his house and he like puts his bass on me and then I, I strum it and I hear the, dum, 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 dum. and i was like, my whole body just got chills like all over. He started teaching me just like little little things, and mm-hmm. I was able to pick it up really really fast. It was very strange how like I had never been able to pick up any instrument like that, and just like it felt right. Like I just like my fingers knew what to do. Mm-hmm. It was very like a surreal experience. So so then I was like, oh, well, I guess bass is my instrument. And so then I was on this like journey to find my bass, and I found my first bass. Um, I named her Caress. She was acoustic electric bass, and mm-hmm. then. I told my mom I was like, "Mom, like I found my instrument. I'm playing bass now." And then she decides to tell me. She was like, "Oh, your grandpa played bass." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, like why am I just not hearing?" About right.
0: That? Oh, there's some family precedent here. Yeah. Who knew?
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: It seems like listening to your music and hearing these stories, uh, you know, so much of.
2: Th-
0: I think your work and your art is very intuitive. Mm-hmm. Is Do you deliberate over a lot of it? Do you do? You, is there trial and error with some of these stuff, or do you just kind of try to find your way into the flow and just follow that?
1: It's like I hear them. I hear the the songs, and they like catch me, like or I catch them, or I don't know how it goes, but they definitely like come through. And I have yet to like. Deliberately write a song And I don't even know If I know how To deliberately write a song mm-hmm. It's just like um, You can even Like When people come to um, My cacao ceremonies And stuff like that I love to play this game Called Psychic Song And I'll like Ask people questions Okay And they're like the, well they'll ask me questions so I'll ask them to ask me questions <laughs> and then they do and they'll they ask me these like existential questions like that no one no human can actually answer and then I'll take like two or three questions at a time and then just listen and like a song will come through that like addresses those questions but I'm not like actually writing a song like me with my ego in that moment that's like how i learned music i just spent time a lot of time like outside in nature like listening to the vibrations that i could hear in the plants and like trying to mimic them with my voice like tuning in the low resonance of the trees and the rocks and then the high resonance of like the fern and the moss Mm -hmm. and um so i just started by just listening and then when the, the song started to come at first they would come through dreams and i would like wake up in the middle of the night and like write everything okay and then, um then find the melody on the bass later then that st- it stopped flowing like that so much and it started flowing like i just like sit with my instrument and then it just starts like my fingers start to move and it starts to come <laughs> the refinement process is like I don't force anything to stay so when I receive a song I receive it in the form I receive it in and then the next day when I sit down to play it if I forget a part I know that it's not the part I don't like try to remember that part that I forgot I just let it be and I let myself be stuck and find that like what wants to be there and then it like becomes whole like it just like comes through and then sometimes like in the experience of sharing it live a shift will happen and my drummer peter ryan he's amazing he's like been a musician for 20 years mm-hmm. And he just like flows with me because sometimes like a shift will just happen like in the live performance and the song will start to move differently and then sometimes like i'll know that that shift was just for that moment for that audience and then other times i'm like oh no like that's like that's that's how it's supposed to be like that's the song now and then we'll just like keep that change in in the song
0: let's talk about psalms of saturn and Mm -hmm. i want to jump off of what you just said there when i asked this this next question looking at because it's a book it's an album Mm -hmm. together in one um because it sounds like you are very open to your music evolving and adapting each time you play it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel then about having this document, this small snapshot of mm-hmm. your work? Is that just are, is that comfortable for you to just like have this? Like this is what it sounds like now.
2: Yeah, but it can be
0: a completely different thing if you come if you come to your show and on um if you come to the show at the old church on the seventeenth. Yeah, know,
1: it's going to sound different than okay. the the recorded version that they'll receive when they purchased the album um and I love that and that's another thing that I love about being a bassist because like the the root is the bass line like most people don't even realize it when you're listening to the music that the part that's actually kind of controlling the emotion is the bass that's exactly right and everyone's like oh the guitar the piano the voice <laughs> like, but really like the bassist is back in the corner all quiet like but they are controlling everything
2: it's true though yeah. <laughs> and
1: it's really interesting to bring Bring that instrument to the lead like
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that's the difference between my band and um other bands it's like the basis is the lead and it's with the lead vocals and they're married and um the album is beautiful because no moment repeats itself and so that creation was a powerful rites of passage and it was exactly perfect and exactly the best articulation of those songs that I was capable of in that moment when that was conceived and it was exactly the way that it was meant to be for this first emanation of my essence going out into the world into the digital streaming platforms and it's like we only have um, two two of the songs on the album that feature another instrumentalist. The one song, Bamboo, features our newest member of the band, Chris Vermouth, on keys. And then um, on another song, Raw, we feature Greg Allen on viola. Those are the only like additional instruments that you hear on the entire album. The rest is just all drum, bass, and vocals. And so it's a very like pure Transmission of what the songs are Mm -hmm. And how they came through
0: Well this leads me to Want to talk to you as well about your healing work Mm -hmm. Uh, You have a sideline called soulful resonance mm-hmm. and uh, you talk a little bit a bit about the cacao ceremony but I'm p- particularly curious about uh, the work you do with voices and sound
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, how did you develop these techniques and learn this practice and what do they look like in practice how does this work mm-hmm. like a ceremony or like a healing practice like for for voice especially yes
1: yes, yes. my um, the vocal alchemy work I got into because as I was developing my voice I wasn't really finding vocal teachers that could support my particular experience. Mm-hmm. For me, it wasn't helpful to have someone drilling soap edge with me at a piano. It wasn't helpful to be practicing like vocal trills or like um like Scales, all of that stuff was fine, but it wasn't getting to the root of why I was struggling showing up and presenting my voice authentically. Mm-hmm. And authenticity is important to me. Many, there are tons and tons of phenomenal singers that are not authentic. They have incredibly technically trained voices, but they are not they're putting on, they're, they're singing covers, they're putting on other people, they're not comfortable just allowing what is them to be witnessed on stage. And it was very, very clear to me from the moment that I started to receive Song that it, that was none of that was my path my path was to share completely authentically and in order to do that it would take a lot of deeper healing and looking at like the the murky trauma that was living in my body like i definitely like grew up in a neighborhood that was ptsd inducing like I'm sure it was not cool and i didn't even know that most of the stuff i was experiencing wasn't cool until i made it to college and started to hear about other kids childhoods and was just like whoa, you mean you didn't pick bullet shells up out of your grandma's rose garden? Like, what? Wow. Like, other kids didn't have to do that? Oh my God, like what happened to me? <laughs> like like the, that like, you know, like bounce back of like when you start to realize like what you're actually carrying. And um, nothing hides to me. I can only speak for myself, but nothing hides in sound. In dance, I was able to be a warrior. I was able to craft my body and make it really strong and like move this like powerful fire yang energy and um it allowed for me to work with the emotions that i wanted to work with and to leave the other ones at the door that i didn't want to but when i started to sing there was no hiding i couldn't hide from myself like i would like try to go deeper into my voice and for a while like it would just get stuck and only tears would come like I would just ball and ball and ball and ball and ball and it was like I would, or I would feel like I was drowning or choking or have all these like um, some people don't believe in past lives but I would have all these past life regressions of different lifetimes where I would feel like I got persecuted for my magic or for my offerings on this planet and so there was a lot of like fear around sharing myself like 100% authentically and vulnerably and I wasn't really finding a lot of support in like the known vocal training world to deal with those aspects of why my voice was feeling blocked in the first place and so I spent a lot of time just like using what I learned through movement about listening to my body and just like allowing it to guide me I used a lot of that which taught me how to let my voice guide me through the healing process and so I would be in a bath bath is like my favorite medicine i would just be in the bathtub and I'd be like toning and scaling through my body toning and then I would reach a point where like a really big wave of emotion would come up and instead of like letting the emotion like completely take me over and like put me in the bottom of the ocean I will let the tears come and let the emotion come through and then do my very best to transmute that into melody like change the, t- the cry into melody to learn how to instead of hiding and burying my pain allow it to transmute itself into beauty so I started to develop a lot of techniques with that using toning and using um what I call guidance, mm-hmm. which is like you guide the person's awareness into different parts of their body, and letting it um, then speak, like letting unfiltered, like this flow come of whatever that is stored there, and that starts to unhook all all of the like parts that feel like they can't speak. They all of a sudden start flowing. All the energy centers start flowing, and um, that's a big part of my practice. And then people who have blocked throat chakras tend to also have a difficult time standing up for themselves and their relationships with other humans. So some of my clients have no interest in singing. They just want to get better at like, sit, expressing their authentic yes and no, and like mm. discerning what that is. And that was something that I had a hard time with um, for most of my life growing up. Like I was a people pleaser. I always wanted to just like do what I thought everybody else wanted me to do. And mm-hmm. a lot of times like, that wasn't what was in my best interest. And I would like, funny, funnily enough, I would get sick. I would get throat sicknesses whenever I went against my own truth. And like, wow, yeah, I would get like laryngitis or like just like weird stuff and like around my throat. And um, I learned that like another big part about being able to step up into my voice as a singer was learning how to say no. Learning how to have clear safe boundaries learning how to articulate myself really well mm-hmm. learning how to speak about myself in a way that was quantum that was forward moving and bringing what i know that i am into my present tense reality instead of keeping it far away so word wordplay like instead of saying trying saying I am becoming and like changing my language it was just like a full spectrum for me for stepping up into my power and so then when I started to kind of get a handle on that with myself I started to magnetize beings that I would see myself in and they would tell me that they were having these same almost identical issues and that they had tried to work with other vocal coaches and it wasn't working And then I started to realize that that's why I didn't have a vocal coach that Mm -hmm. could help me with that was because I needed to figure it out myself. And then by figuring it out myself, it gave me like the toolkit that I now use with my clients to help them on the path of vocal empowerment and vocal alchemy. Wow.
0: Well, again, my guest Trinetti is having a ceremonial concert for her album and book, Psalms of Saturn, on Friday, January seventeenth, at the Old Church at six p.m., she's going to be joined by Dolphin Midwives. She's going to be performing the live band. will be a contemporary dance artist, a ceremonial cacao bar. It's going to be a very full evening. Uh, Trinetti, thank you so much for coming to speak with me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: For just over a decade now, Moonglyph
0: Records has been one of the best labels in America, responsible for the release of some truly trippy and challenging and often beautiful music from the likes of Swedish dream pop group Death in Vanilla, former Lungfish vocalist Daniel Higgs, former Portlanders Million Brazilians, and the music you're hearing in the background right now from Iceblank, the product of a trans artist named Lynn Avery. Started in Minneapolis, Moonglyph Records and its owner, Steve Rosborough have found their way to Portland, moving here last year and immediately finding the welcome embrace of the local experimental music scene. And he found his way to the X-Ray Studios to talk with me about how Moonglyph began, how it wound up being a local label, and some of the 100-plus releases he has had a hand in over the past 10 years. Well, Steve, what? what is your background like? Where did you come from, and uh, where did your interest in music begin?
3: Um, I uh, I grew up in like small town Illinois, and I I don't know I just got into music I guess like most people do you know I I was in high school and it just really resonated with me mm-hmm. and so I realized that there's so much out there and then as I kept digging and digging into things I realized. It's endless. And, <laughs> you know, in college, uh, that's when I realized that there are people um, self-releasing their own things and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people are still putting out cassette tapes. And so that really intrigued me. You know, um, I have kind of a visual background. I'm a graphic designer generally. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was just really enticed by that, the DIY aesthetic and everything that goes with it. And so, you know, it just gave me the kind of the feeling that, hey, I can do this too, you know. You okay. Just, you just have to try <laughs> Um, cause
0: you, when you start, when did you start Moonglyph? Let's start there.
3: Um, I started Moonglyph, uh, right after college. Um, and that was about like 10 years ago now. Okay.
0: Because you, I guess the subtitle, I guess if you want to call it for the label the 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 quick and dirty description of the label it's just, you know a, a, an outlet for psychedelic music is yeah that's... The, the, you know the shorthand for it, if you will. but where did that interest come into play like the the sounds that you guys are putting out?
3: Yeah, psychedelia. I mean, you know, I'll be frank. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm one guy running this record label. So, right. <laughs> you know, I like to use umbrella as a, uh, or I, I like to use rather psychedelic as an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Um, and but ultimately, it's it's what interests me. It's what I, you know, I think is really interesting. What I think works. Um, okay. But but ultimately, like psychedelic to me is is music that has a transportive quality something that's kind of taking you out of out of yourself mm-hmm. um and that's what I've always really liked about music and I think lots of styles can do that right and when did you start playing music yourself um I um you know I took piano lessons as a kid and hated it and then I <laughs> and then I tried to play guitar in high school and I was never very good at that and so I just kind of Piece stuff together as, as time went on, and then eventually I realized that like sound design and synthesizers and mm-hmm. textures like really interested me, and uh, yeah, so that's why I do you know predominantly synth music now. Okay,
0: now the first two releases that came out on Moonglyph were two projects of yours: mm-hmm. you Olives, which was your duo with uh, Ryan Nerwig, and your solo project Soothsayer. Um, but it didn't take very long for you to find other folks work to release. Is that, were you pretty well
3: tapped into sort of the, uh, if for lack of a better term, the underground music scene? Uh, no, I was, um, you know, I had moved to, um, so after college and stuff, I moved to Minneapolis. Right. And that's when, um, that's when I started the label. And so, you know, I didn't really know anybody in music. I was just interested you know I I heard about uh, house shows and local things going on and so you know I very timidly walked up to the bands and said hey you know I, I like what you do you know would you be interested in me releasing your music I'm trying to start this record label mm-hmm. and um, and so people were into it so I met a lot of really amazing people doing that and uh, I also got over some, some hardcore nerves I had initially <laughs> it was very difficult I had people behind me saying just do it just do it what's wrong with you, right. you know? <laughs>
0: Because, uh, yeah, like the third release that you did on the label was a band called Velvet Davenport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, you pretty quickly, like soon after that, you're releasing stuff by Magic Castles and uh, Dante and the Lobster. It's a fascinating project. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I'm not sure who was behind that one. Um but was uh, I'm always curious about why cassettes. Was it just sort of, you know, I mean, you were clearly aware of other tape labels at that point. Um, and, and what was the reason for going down
3: that road? Was it simply just a cost matter? Like it was cheap to produce these things? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, CDs CDs were dying pretty hard, um, as they mostly are now. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, your options pretty much as far as physical releases go was going to be tapes or records. And records were prohibitively expensive. As they still mostly are, right? And um, you know, and I wanted to do a lot of things, and you know, I'm also working mostly with like new new bands, you know, for, like mm-hmm. first releases for groups, that kind of thing. And um, this is just a good way to get it out there, and. You know, honestly, I'm just lucky that tapes are still cool and people still like them and listen to them, because we moved into the streaming era. You know, some people still want that yeah. physical experience, uh, and also tapes sound really good. You oh, know, they if, sure do. If yeah. they're dubbed well, they can sound fantastic. You know, people some some people have a misconception about that. I think so too. Yeah, but I, I, I'm a huge fan myself, so I'm, I'm really excited to
0: that I found your label, and I think I think my first experience of knowing about your label is that I. Correct me if I'm wrong, did you have a table one year at the Pitchfork Festival? I did, In yeah. Chicago? Yeah, yeah so, I, did I only did that once. Yeah, 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 so
3: that was the year that I was there. So. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that was really fun. That was a good year, too. Yeah, so, um, yeah,
0: how was it, for like, when you were thinking of releasing someone's music and you're connecting with their music and thinking, like, I would love to put out a cassette by these people, and you talk, you said a little bit before, but sort of the, the transport portive quality of some of this music that you're doing that you're releasing um, is that what you're generally connecting with is just you know hearing these, performers or hearing their music and connecting with it on that level, that it's transporting you somewhere else as you're listening to it, for lack of a better term?
3: Yeah, I'd say so. You know, it just, it resonates with me. You know, like I said, it's, I'm the one who has to be pleased sure. here. And so, <laughs> you know, if I'm into it, and uh, then then I do it, pretty much. You know, I like the label to have a broad palette and a broad aesthetic, because yeah. I think that's what music listeners, especially hardcore music listeners, the kind of people that listen to a record label like mine and other small labels, mm. you know, they they like a broad palette of sounds you know um, there's a lot of labels that specialize and I love labels like that too but um, but I like to cast a wide net with Moongla for sure. Okay. Now
0: in that wide net you know you have released some material by some bigger names or at least people that would uh, have sort of floated further to the surface mm-hmm. of the music world. Uh, PC Worship is one that yeah. you released one of their cassettes. Dylan Ettinger is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, so did when you released those things was that something where was that sort of before they became sort of known forces in the music world and did that do you feel like you helped them in some way, or was that sort of an experience of they were already kind of known and they helped you? They helped the label sort of get the name out a little more.
3: Yeah, um, with PC Worship, you know, they were they were well known in their in their local community in mm-hmm. New York. Um, I put out a, a particularly weird PC Worship release. Right. <laughs> um, it's uh, far more into like the free jazz territory and noise, and they use a lot more like acoustic instruments and stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's a really cool one. Um and with Dylan Ettinger, um you know I I'd known Dylan's uh, work when he was in Indiana and he uh, he had a, a tape label called El Tool and and so I was really intrigued by that stuff. Um so I think at that point, you know I feel like Dylan was was already like rising pretty well and uh, and I was just somebody who you know got to work with them. So Dylan Dylan's a great dude. <laughs>
0: for myself other one I wanted to ask about was uh, working with Daniel Higgs on the release that you did which was the Ultra Terrestrial Harvest Hymns mm-hmm. cassette which is uh, one of my favorites on the label I'm oh, a big cool. lungfish fan Me which too. sort of helped you know Me too. make right. the connection but yeah <laughs>
3: Is, yeah, i mean he's he's such a unique figure right yeah. he's a powerful dude um that was one of those in- instances where you know i thought hey i'm just gonna i'm just gonna reach out to people i'm gonna reach out to people that i deeply admire and respect and daniel higgs hit me back up and so you know he let me uh, release that that album which um yeah which was a pretty cool record it was something he recorded when he was doing a, a marijuana harvest in northern california <laughs> uh, apparently when he um when it his uh, his four track that he was using to record the album he ended up getting some uh, some like THC oil and stuff in it so it's a little grimy and you can, you can kind of hear some of that in the recording because we used the original tape to, to do all the dubs. Wow. Yeah it's pretty funny. <laughs> As you were releasing
0: things early on when did you get a sense that you were starting to make a connection with you know other listeners of psychedelic music and other tape collectors and things like that like when did this thing start to pick up
3: if you will? Um, I feel like I feel like I had good success locally in Minneapolis when I was starting out uh, pretty quickly because, you know, I I release a lot of music fairly quickly as well. Mm -hmm. And so and since I was focusing predominantly on local stuff at that time. Um, you know, uh, Minneapolis is a really great music community that right. really supports itself. And it's, you know, in some ways it's insular and that gets frustrating for a lot of folks that are in it, but, <laughs> right. but it also means that people have a shot to get noticed and paid attention to. And, um, you know, I've, I've only been in Portland for a little bit, but I'm getting very similar vibe here. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I really like that. I just like the people, people are all very supportive. we are kind of all in this together. And, right. and I like that feel.
0: Okay. Um, I wanted to ask about some of the other releases that you've done. Um, I'm especially curious, uh, as far as local musicians, at least they used to be local, million Brazilians who helped put out one of their LPs, Mm -hmm. uh, Wet Dry, is it Jungula? I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Jungala. Jungala. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a co-release with their label, Psychic Sounds Research. Uh, So how did you connect up with them, and uh, how did this release come to be?
3: Yeah, yeah. So there was um, so I released uh, this is a little convoluted, but I, I released a, a tape, <laughs> a tape from a group called Deep Earth, which were mm-hmm. they were kind of like a big synth band out of uh, Chicago, and uh, there's a guy James Shaver in that group, mm-hmm. and so he um, he eventually had moved to Portland, and he met Grant and Suzanne from Million Brazilians, and he started playing with them, and so that was how I kind of first got connected with them. Um, I had seen their releases; they had um, they had a tape out on. Oh damn it! I can't remember the name of the label, but I, I I saw one of their tapes around and I liked it, and so yeah, that's how I got to got to know them. <laughs> And also, sorry, just to add, I also Please. released a, uh, I also released a, a Quorum cassette. Right. So that's uh, that's Grant's solo project,
0: Coastal Voodoo Tronic Voyage. The yep. name of that one. Oh yeah. I wanted to ask also about the uh courtesy one of the courtesy cassettes he did uh slow bruise mm-hmm. about uh, how you connected with drew and kirk for that one
3: yeah um how did i initially connect with them um i'm trying to you know i'm trying to remember i feel like i feel like they actually reached out to me i think that was a demo and that was an email demo wow how About so that? yeah which is amazing i love i love getting demos um i try to listen to all of them sometimes i can't but uh you know, to anybody who's ever received demos before, you know, ninety-five percent of them are lazy and terrible. <laughs> and so, whenever you get something good, it is such a great feeling. It's, right. so, it's so nice to be able to write the email back of, "Hey, this is actually great. I love this." You know. So, um, yeah, that's how I that's how I first heard Curtis. And we've done done a couple of things together.
0: Because uh, it does say on your website that you are open to demos, which I think oh, yeah. is is kind of a rare thing for even a smaller label like
3: yours to be open to that. But uh, Yeah, I, I, I don't really understand, honestly, why other people don't do it. I mean, I suppose there's there's just the issue of the volume of it. Sure. It's difficult to keep up. But to me, um, how else am I supposed to discover someone who's brand new, someone who's never released music before, mm-hmm. if I don't allow them to send demos? Because that's what I want to hear, somebody that's never put out anything, somebody that's just getting started. Like, I want to hear what they're doing. Okay. You know, they're going to have a unique vision. They're going to try something new, and I want to at least have the possibility of coming across it. Right.
0: Now, you know, you've been releasing cassettes now for about 10 years, and it seems like around that time was when uh, cassette labels and cassettes really started to, to make their resurgence in... I don't want to say popular culture, but in, you know, the underground culture, whatever folks this like is, us, whatever yeah. that we're into here, yeah. you know, because I listen to a lot of cassettes, as I said before, and I know a lot of other people do and collect these things. There's like, you know, the tabs out podcast, which, you know, oh, yeah, great plays podcast. a lot of that Plays you know, is all around cassettes and cassette culture. Um, how has that been to see that? Because, I mean, you were connected, like I said before, with tape labels and, you know, cassettes before that, but how is it to see the increase in interest in this? And even seeing like, now some major label artists you know like we're gonna put this on a cassette what a wacky concept this is you know
3: yeah it's definitely weird to you know you go to an urban outfitters and there's like a king cruel cassette and stuff like it's definitely a bit (laughs) strange but uh but it's great you know i'm i'm glad that it's becoming more uh you know more accepted like like records and stuff right Mm -hmm. like even people who don't care about music know that records are back and people like records yeah and it seems like tapes are doing you know pretty damn well for themselves all in all so sure so i love it um I, i think it's it's just it's great so you, uh,
0: most of the stuff that you put out has been on cassette or as well digital. You have done some LP releases along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the deciding factor of you know this one's going to come out on a piece of vinyl rather than uh, cassette? Is it again? Is it just a, a monetary thing? You know, like having the money to afford to put out
3: a record? Yeah, a lot of it is is definitely definitely that. It's just the cost of it. Um, but I'm also finding that. Um, since since tapes are cheaper to produce and therefore cheaper to sell, mm-hmm. um, people are more apt to purchase them and give something a shot that's maybe a little weird, um, especially in the streaming era. You know, th- there's only the diehards are the ones who are, like, buying the physical media for everything. And so if you can drop down eight bucks, you know, you might do that. But, yeah. you know, if you have to drop 18, 20, 25, I mean, records are only getting more expensive. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that people, like, I'm, I'm concerned that records are going to slowly diminish just because of the cost of them, you know? You buy one record and it's like three months of Spotify or something. Yeah. So you know, eventually that's gonna that's gonna catch up, and only so many people are gonna be willing or capable of doing that.
0: Yeah, it it is a weird thing. Just you know, um, there was a, a an an essay that someone wrote on the Guardian about that about what how Record Store Day is a is a really cool thing for. You know the independent record stores but you know it's making it harder for consumers just to get these records because a lot of the ones that do get released there are twenty dollars or more oh yeah if you're spending thirty five dollars for this reissue of a record you may be able to find
3: an original four for five i know i mean don't you want to buy you know Neil young's harvest for 50 bucks right I mean, why not <laughs> it, yeah it's so uh, how uh, is that for you
0: the economics of running a label i mean it, like yours your operation like you said is small it's you or the guy behind it, and yep. you're doing a lot of the art design for uh, a lot of the cassettes. Um, yeah, it, it, is it still fairly, you know, manageable
3: economically speaking? Yeah, it's 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 manageable, you know, it's um, obviously you have your your ebbs and flows and stuff, but um, I try to keep things sensible and, you know, not putting out uh, records helps that, honestly. Putting sure. out Putting out tapes makes it more viable. And also, I, there's so many projects I would like to do, and I would rather put out a bunch of things throughout the year on tape rather than one or two records across the year. And, you know, it just makes more sense for me.
0: Yeah. Now, I want to, while I have you here, talk about the music that you do. Like I said, you put out, you know, Soothsayer was your first project as a... um Synth artist that, that is your uh, medium. Uh, so I want to hear about the the music you're making
3: now because you just put out a cassette very recently as well, not on your own label either. Right? Yeah, yeah. I put out an album called uh, West Coast Escapism, and that's my my project Omni Gardens. Mm-hmm. And so I'm moving in more of a, like a meditative or a new age kind of direction with this stuff. Um, I was really, really inspired by old new age tapes, people who kind of self-create their own things and, and put it out there. Um, it's actually a really great, like, Oregon artist, uh, Michael Garrison, mm, if you've heard yeah. him. He uh, makes, it's, it's Tangerine Dream-esque kind of stuff, but um, I just, again, it comes from that, like, private press, that DIY um, kind of uh, vibe and work ethic that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so West Coast Escapism, and I've been working on new stuff. Um, I actually was working earlier today. Um, I'm working on a uh, meditation album right now. It's going to be a guided meditation. And so, um, I had my buddy, uh, in, uh, Salzberg come over and he, uh, he was recording some spoken word to go on top of my two, uh, 20 minute tracks, Wow, which I'm very psyched about. So they sound, they sound amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he uh, really knows what he's doing.
0: So how did you end up out here in Portland? It's a very recent, you're a very recent uh, resident now, but how did you end up out here?
3: Um, Yeah, I I moved out here um, at the end of May because uh, um, my girlfriend, she, uh, she got a job and that brought us here. Okay. So, so and we were fairly simple, psyched about it. yeah, it was very simple. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we're happy to have you here. Thank I you. wanted to ask uh, uh, the, the most recent cassette that uh, your label Moonglyph put out, um, that I, I absolutely adore, which is Danny Scott Lane's memory record.) Based producer, but I wonder if you could walk us through the concept behind this because I'm so in love with this idea that he had.
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's called it's called Memory Record because his uh, his grandfather had Alzheimer's, and um, once uh, once that happened, he um, his grandfather gave uh, little micro cassette recorders to uh, to Danny and his brother. And he told them that you know he wanted them to record their memories and kind of make them tangible, make them real um, just because you know the the circumstance and so so that was just the huge impetus behind behind that record for Danny.
0: Wow, yeah, it's a beautiful piece of work, I must say now uh
3: you know we are here in the new year, uh, what is next for? Moonglyph Moonglyph we got a bunch of things in the pipeline Um, I'm gonna be putting out an album by uh, Ice Blink in uh, January Mm. which is very cool it's kind of a kind of like a homespun cozy like it's this one's hard to describe for me actually. It's <laughs> it's 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 psychedelic, but it also has like jazz and pop elements to it too. Um, okay. But there's like a very there's a really amazing casual quality to all of it, um, and it's it's cozy. It has like a cozy feel, um, even though there's you know there's stuff like saxophone and stuff on it. But it's it's a it's a cozy record. <laughs> Um, I also have uh, there's a group called the American cream band um, a record called dark horizons that will be coming out next year and um, And that one's uh, that's that's a group that's been around for a while in uh, in the Minneapolis area And that's more of like a big weird psych freak out stuff There's like dub songs on there and um, just psych rock. It's it's really really brilliant Uh, That one's very cool um, so that that'll actually be an LP. Speaking of the format stuff, okay. Um, so that'll be coming out next year as well. And um, I'm also working with, um, um, starting to talk to some local people. So I'm very excited to hear more uh, Portland artists. I'm working, going to be working with uh, Eli uh, Eli Knowles. He does. Uh, he's a he's a jazz drummer. He's 20 years old, and uh, he sent me his demo, and I'm like, this is great. Uh, so we're going to be doing that um, cool. sometime next year as well wow so and a few other things that i probably shouldn't talk about because they aren't (laughs) finalized and for sure yet fair enough uh if anyone wants to follow along with the label
0: moonglyph.com is the place to go you can also go to moonglyph.bandcamp.com and sample uh many of the releases that this amazing cassette and record label has put out over its 10-year history um steve Rosbro, thank you so much for coming down to be on the show oh
3: absolutely thanks so much for having me this is really fun
0: listening to world of noise right here on x-ray fm and as part of the x-ray podcast network i want to thank my guests trinetti and steve rosborough for joining me as always if you want to reach the show hit us up on twitter at w-o-n x-ray and if you like what you heard or missed part of the show be sure to subscribe to the podcast edition of the show at x-raypod.com or wherever you get your podcasts tune in next week when i'll be joined by the experimental artist known as avola And you'll hear another edition of Take 5, the regular segment on the show, where I ask an artist to choose five songs that inspired their work in some way. This time around, it's Americana singer-songwriter Bart Budwig in the hot seat. All that next week on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening.